Well, I'm going to read Psalm 110. Psalm 110, <clears throat> a Psalm of David. The Lord said unto my Lord, and by the way, uh, after the last reading, um, the last time we looked at this, uh, it came to my attention that not every Bible has, has uh, the, 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 the word Lord um, uh, segmented out in a way that is very helpful. Uh, in the, the, when the, usually in these Bibles, when the word Lord is all caps, you can know that's Jehovah. Um, and then uh, when, this, when it's not in all caps, when the, just have the first letter capitalized, that's usually the word Adonai. Um, and so you see that here in your Bible. But this is uh, in this verse, first verse, uh, the first Lord is Jehovah Yahweh. The second one is, is Adonai. The Lord said unto my Lord, uh, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings. And by the way, this, this is um, this Lord, verse 5, is, is the Adonai. The Lord at the right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook and the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. So we introduced this psalm a couple of weeks ago, and I told you that I want to spend just a number of weeks um, in this psalm, studying this psalm with you. I hope that you will be studying this psalm along with me and that these studies together can be sort of an interactive time where we're just, uh, we're just, just uh, sapping the, or um, just enjoying the sap out of the, out of the tree. It's just a wonderful, wonderful psalm. But we came to this psalm for this reason, um, that the greatest need, as I said last time, the greatest need that all of us have is to see the Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, exalted as he is. Um, that is a solution for every one of our problems, is to see the Lord Jesus Christ by faith high and lifted up. So Psalm 110 is, is one of the most important Old Testament passages uh, because it does that very thing. And we can see its importance because it is the most quoted Old Testament passage by far in the New Testament. It's not even close. Um, and it's all about Jesus. And so uh, I want us to, to, to uh, dive into this psalm. Um, but before we dive into it, I want to spend a few weeks, um, since it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, I want to spend a few weeks just looking at, well, how did the New Testament read Psalm 110? How did the writers of the New Testament, of course, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, how did the writers see uh, Psalm 110 and what was being presented to us? Who is this Jesus? Who is this Lord um, who is sitting at the right hand of Jehovah? Who is this and what does it mean for him to be at the right hand of Jehovah? So verse 1 and verse 4 are the two places that are most quoted. As I said last time, Verse 1, I think, is alluded to maybe 
27 times directly or indirectly. And then verse 4 covers this big, huge chunk of Hebrews. Uh, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And so tonight, I just want to jump into two places, look at two places um, where this, this psalm is referenced, verse 1 is referenced um, in the New Testament. So let's turn, first of all, in our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 12. And we're going to see in both of these uh, verses tonight, both of these passages tonight where Psalm 110 is quoted, we're going to see uh, the Lord Jesus Christ referencing this psalm. So how did Jesus see what was being said? What did Jesus see that we need to see from Psalm 110, verse 1? So again, verse 1 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, until I make thy, thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. By the way, I can't wait to jump into that verse. Isn't that wonderful? The Lord, Jehovah, says to my Lord, the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. This is the great uh, kingly reign of Jesus Christ. He is the sovereign. He has been crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. But tonight, let's just look at what Jesus uh, uh, quoted from this psalm and what he wanted us to see. So Mark 12 is the first place that we're going to go. And uh, let me just read uh, where Jesus quotes this psalm. And then we'll go back and look at the context. I think the context is very informative. So Jesus, in Mark chapter 12, verse... 35, and Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? Now, let me also turn to Matthew 22, just to see a parallel um, to this. So in, in, in Mark 12, and then Matthew 22, Mark 12 Jesus, while he's teaching, says, How say the scribes that Christ is the Son of David? Now, Matthew 22 gives a little bit more context to that. In Matthew 22, verse 41, it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them. Okay? So just bring that scene to your mind. You know who the Pharisees are. They're the, the, uh, the, 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 the experts on the law. They're highly uh, revered for their, um, uh, for their uh, uh, fidelity to the law, their, their judgment over the law, and they're the ones that are constantly uh, uh, questioning Christ and uh, questioning Jesus to see if he uh, is an imposter, and of course they suspect that he is, and judge him to be that. So they're gathered together, and Jesus asked them this question, saying, What think ye of Christ? So what do you think about the Messiah? The Messiah is the anointed one. He's the long-promised one from the Old Testament prophecies. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Okay? And there's an immediate response. They say unto him, the son of David. Okay? So that that was the common understanding of who the Messiah was. He was a man, the son of David. So some descendant from David who would be a highly blessed man, a highly favored man, who would do wonderful things given this ability by God to do wonderful things. Now turn to Mark 12 again. 
And Jesus sort of follows up on that and says, well, how say the scribes that Christ is the son of David? For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost, we'll come back to this in a minute, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, therefore himself, calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. Now we'll come back to that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to give a little context to this scene uh, from, the, from Mark chapter 12. And so in Mark 12, in fact, let me just read the first parable. This is in verse 1. And he began to speak unto them by parables. A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge about it and digged a place for the wine fat, and built a tower, and, and he let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And at the season, he sent to the husbandman a servant, that he might receive from the husbandman of the fruit of the vineyard. <clears throat> and they caught him, and beat him, and sent him away empty. And again, he sent to them another servant, and at him they cast stones, and wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully handled. And again he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some, having yet therefore one son, I love this, listen to this, having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved. Does that sound familiar? This is the same word. In fact, every time this word well-beloved is used in the Gospels, it's used speaking only of Jesus. So let me give you a few other times this word is used. You want to guess? This is my beloved son, and whom I'm well pleased. Again, in Matthew 17, this is my beloved son. So this is the word that, that, the, that, that the father has for the son. <clears throat> okay. Having yet therefore one son, his well-beloved, he sent him also last unto them, saying... They will reverence my son. And by the way, um, that's not just wishful thinking. Right? Uh, uh, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will reverence my son. But those husbandmen said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And the inheritance shall be ours. And they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. What shall therefore the Lord of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the husbandmen and will give the vineyard unto others. Praise the Lord. And have ye not read this scripture, Jesus says, the stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous. In our eyes. Now, what could this parable be talking about? <clears throat> You're going to look at history here, aren't you? Just the, the whole Old Testament history. I think when it's talking about those servants that were scoffed at and beaten and cast away, um, he's probably talking about the prophets whom the Lord sent um, to his people. The prophets were the faithful prophets were not heeded. Jeremiah and others, some they were killed, some they were uh, beaten. They were all 
they, they were all um, um, not heeded. And then the well-beloved comes. The well-beloved comes, and Jesus is clearly saying, I am that well-beloved one. And by the way, this was not confusing to the scribes and the Pharisees who were hearing this parable. Listen to what happens. And they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. For they knew that he had spoken the parable against them. And they left him and went their way. Isn't that something? Jesus places them before him. He says, listen, the husband, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the, the man plants this vineyard. He prepares it with the tower there, prepares it for, for great growth. He sends the servants to bring forth the fruits and to bring him the labor from the vineyard. They reject every one of them. So finally he sends his well-beloved son. And they say, no, this is the heir. They recognize who he is. By the way, don't ever forget that. The works of Jesus while he was on earth left an unmistakable, unmistakable evidence that he was exactly who he claimed to be. He was the Messiah. He was more than a man. He was and is the Son of God. I love, I think Roy read this the other day in our scripture reading when he read uh, about them, them uh, at the tomb of Jesus. They said, make it as fast as you can. Make it as fast as you can. Uh, even understanding, I think, in some way that they were, uh, they were helpless against the power of this one whom they had just killed. So they seek to lay, they hate this, this parable, they hate this man, they would love to lay hold on him, they fear the people, and so they try something else. And I just want you to see, I just want you to see this. And so the next thing they do is they send it to him certain of the Pharisees and the Herodians for this purpose to catch him in his words. I love that. To catch him, in, I don't love it, but I, I, it's just so stark, isn't it? They want, they have no other desire than to somehow prove that Jesus is just a man. And so they try to stump him. And they first stump him with this whole question about, is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? And I'm not going to dig into that right now, uh, but it's it's a great study. We'll do it at some point. That's the first question. Is it lawful to render tribute to Caesar, this godless one, um, or should we be rendering tribute to God, who is the true and living God. And Jesus answers their question in a way that causes them to... In fact, Jesus answers their question in one sentence. Render therefore to, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. <laughs> and in one sentence, it says, they marveled at him. And so I just, what I really wanted you to see in this is the next question. Um, the next question just gets ridiculous. I want you to see the desperateness of these people who could see who he was, but could not, because as we sang in the song today, the Spirit opens the way, right? The Spirit makes the way. The Spirit gives you this ability to see and to hear. So the next question is this. If a man's brothers die and leaves 
uh, a wife behind, but they don't have children. And the law says the next brother should take her. And so he does, and they don't have children, but he does. So the third brother takes her, and they don't have children, but he does, and they go on for seven brothers. Whose is she married to in the resurrection? And the point being, friends, to, 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 to try to truly scoff at the person of Jesus doesn't make Jesus look ridiculous. It makes the scoffer look ridiculous. So Jesus answers these questions, and then he has the, um, one of the scribes who hears this says, Lord, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answers from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one Lord. There's one Lord. You hear this? One Lord. And thou shalt love this Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So where is Jesus' loyalty? Okay? He says, you must give everything to the one Lord. You must give everything, all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. To the one Lord. This is the great commandment. So, this is an important thing, isn't it? Because they felt like Jesus was taking away from the one Lord, Jehovah. Didn't they? You're claiming more than you ought to claim. Jesus says, no, 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 no. The first commandment is this. You give everything to the one Lord. That's what he says. The scribe says, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. There is one God. Listen, there is one God, and there is none other but He. And Jesus says, in fact, and he goes on to say, And to love Him with everything is much more than all the sacrifices. This is the scribe speaking. Okay? He recognizes that to truly love God is far better than just um, sacrifices that are external and that come from the heart. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You're seeking it. And then Jesus says this. So to be in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to see the person of Jesus, aren't you? Here's what he says. Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, How say the scribes that Christ, that's the Messiah, is the son of David? Now there are plenty of places in the Old Testament that say the Messiah will be the son of David. They weren't just making that up. He will be a man. The Messiah will be a man. Right? He's going to be born of a virgin. Uh, uh, Read Psalm 89, for example. Uh, the, uh, uh, The throne of David is going to be uh, perpetuated for all kind. He's going to be held up by his father. He's going to establish justice and judgment and equity. Psalm 89 is a beautiful psalm that describes the son of David as being the one who's going to reign on the throne of Israel. 
So the scribes were right in saying that Jesus would be this, that the Messiah would be the son of David. But Jesus says, wait a minute. What about Psalm 110? What does Psalm 110 say? For David, who Messiah will be his son, coming after him, for David himself said, and I love how Jesus, words are so important. I love how Jesus uh, just, just hammers this home. For David himself said, by the Holy Ghost. What is Jesus doing there? He is giving assent to the inspiration of Scripture, isn't he? David himself said in Psalm 110, by the Holy Ghost. So in other words, these aren't just David's words. David wasn't just confused. David wasn't just saying nice things about the Messiah. David was saying exactly what the Holy Ghost wanted to imprint to your minds. Here's what he said. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said to my Lord. Whoa. Jehovah said to the Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Now remember, what's the great commandment? Give everything to God. What does David say? By the Holy Ghost? David says, Jehovah says to the Lord, sit thou on my right hand. Now, that's not just come sit in this special place right next to me. Do you remember in Matthew 20 when, um, was it the mother or was it the, them themselves? In Matthew 20, uh, oh yeah, yeah, the, the mother. The mother of Zebedee's children um, came with her sons to worship Jesus. This is in Matthew 20, verse 20. And she wants to ask him a question. She's, she's in need. And he asks her, what, what do you want? And she says, grant these my two sons that they may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And notice what Jesus says to her. You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, we are able. He says, you don't know what you ask. To, to be raised to the right hand of God, as we'll see in just a minute from the next passage, is to be raised to the place of Almighty. We're going to see this in just a minute. To raise to the seat of power. All power in the hand of Jesus. So, again in Mark 12, he says... The Lord says to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. David, therefore, himself, by the Holy Spirit, calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? Notice this. And the common people heard him gladly. What point is Jesus driving home. 
Jesus is saying, I can't be just a man. David said, the Messiah will be the Lord. You've got to deal with that. That's what he's saying. You have to deal with who I am. I am the Lord. At the right hand. At the highest position. At the highest place. Jesus forces us to look at who he is and either bow before him as son of God and son of man or have none of him. Right? He either is Lord or he's not. Jesus says, Psalm 110 says that. Okay? Now, the next place. Jesus is saying there, he must be more than a man. The next place I want you to look at is Matthew 26. So this goes to the end of the ministry of Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 64. This is the trial of Jesus. Verse 63 says, He held his peace, and the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Are you what you claimed in Mark 12? Are you this Lord that David was speaking of, both the Son of David and the Lord of David? By the way, I don't get into this, but you know, son of um, the, the patriarch would be the, the greater figure. The son would be the, the servant. Are you this son of David, less than David, the follower of David, or are you the Lord of David? He says, I'm both. Listen to what he says here in verse 64. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, or thou hast truly said, you spoken the truth. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter, Shall ye see the Son of Man? Isn't this interesting? In Mark 12, Jesus wants to emphasize, wait a minute, David said, Lord, more than a man, right? Here, Jesus wants you to say, and I am a man. Listen to this. Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Now, we know we're past this. We know the story of the death and the resurrection of Christ. But just imagine hearing this in the moment. Here is a man telling us that a man is going to ascend up into heaven to take the highest place of authority over all and then will descend to the earth. What ludicrous, how ludicrous is that? A man. He says, yes, I am a man. And you're going to see this man, the son of man, sitting at the place of highest authority and coming in the clouds of heaven, all power. Jesus is at their disposal. He is on trial. He's going to be executed at their hand. He's having to answer questions to either either acquit himself or to condemn himself. They see they have the power now. They are filled with 
uh, joy that they have finally accomplished what they couldn't do in Mark 12 and they wanted to lay hold on, lay, lay hold on him and they couldn't because they're afraid of the people, but now they finally have him where they want him. He is in their clutches. And Jesus says to them, this man right here, this son of man, this man that you see right now, you are going to see this son of man ascending to the right hand of power. All power will be in my hand and you're going to see me coming in the clouds of heaven. What a statement. All from Psalm 110. So how does the New Testament see Psalm 110? The New Testament says... Jesus Christ is the one historical figure that you're going to have to grapple with. He is, according to Psalm 110, the Lord over all. He is more than a man. And he is the man who bursts through the clutches of the Sanhedrin and the Roman government and the tomb and this man ascended up to heaven as at the right hand of God with all power given to him and you're going to see him coming in the clouds of heaven. So that's the first part of what the New Testament saw of Jesus in Psalm 110. And then as we, as we look more into this next time, we're going to see that this was the central message of the gospel. This was it, Acts 2. That's where we're going next. We're going next to Acts 2. And we're going to see Peter's powerful sermon of Pentecost and say, this man, Psalm 110 says, is the Lord who's at the right hand of God. And guess what? You killed him. But he raised up, just like Psalm 110 said he would. He rose from the grave. And he is both Lord and Christ. <gasps> what must we do? <laughs> what must we do? Those who are pricked in their hearts said, what must we do? And those who are not pricked in their hearts sought with all their power in the ensuing days and years to... Quench the story of this man. And yet they couldn't. Acts 5. Because, again, in Acts 5, they call on Psalm 110 to be that center of their belief that would say, you can do with us what you want. It doesn't matter. Because Jesus is Lord over all. Now, in 2023, do you need to imbibe that message? Who is Lord over all? Who is telling you the truth? Who is on the seat of authority and power? Who has the authority to speak into your life? Who has the authority to tell you what you should believe and how you should think? Who has the authority? There's only one answer according to Psalm 110. The Lord is sitting on the right hand of God, of Jehovah. He is Jehovah. Sitting on the right hand of power until all of his enemies be made his footstool. Now, verse 3 is going to tell us that his people, this is his authority, 
His authority is to quench, is, is, to, is to crush his enemies, and his authority is to crush the hearts of his elect enemies and turn them to, from stone to flesh and make them willing. This is how his power is seen, friend. This is how his authority is seen in this world. It's one person at a time turning hearts who hated him to love him. Psalm 100 is a wonderful psalm. It really is.